I invite you to join, uh, to join me um, in your Bibles, page 1,891. Join with me in turning to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, Pew Bible, page 1,891. As you turn there, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, bless the reading and preaching of your word, Lord. And may you enlighten us by your spirit. May we see in this um, a beautiful calling for us as Christians to live in light of the end, um, to live devoted to you, uh, not wasting the days that we have, the time that we have. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Here now, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, there are uh, lots of um, songs about um, living this day like it's your last day, right? Um, more recently, in culture, in rap, rap music terms, this has been referred to as YOLO. And YOLO stands for you only live, uh, you only live once, right? And I always suggested that we should change it to uh, you only live forever. But YOLF doesn't sound as cool. It sounds like woof that's broken. I don't know, YOLF. Maybe it's YOLF in Swedish. I don't know, or woof in Swedish. Um, but also, you know, you've got... Um, You've got uh, songs by Nickelback, you know, this, Live This Day Like It's Your Last or something like that. You have uh, country music songs, I Hope You Dance, you know. You have songs about that whole sentiment. You know, how would you live your life if this was, um, your, you realized this was your last day to live? How would you live, right? Like there, if there was no tomorrow. Live like there's no tomorrow. All these phrases, right? Ray Charles was quoted as once saying, live each day like it's your last, because one day you're going to be right. Now, of course, Ray Charles, YOLO, um, a lot of these songs, their, uh, their sentiment is um, in the same vein as eat, drink, 
for tomorrow we die, you know? Uh, live it all up, um, a hedonistic sort of uh, interpretation on what this means. If you knew that tomorrow was going to be your last day of life, what would you do? Oh, I would, I would get a plane ticket to Las Vegas. I would do all the crazy things I could do in Las Vegas because, whoo, I'm going out, man. Right? That's kind of how our society, our culture has interpreted this concept of YOLO. You only live once. Um, do crazy things. Do sinful things. Do, do um, things uh, that the world calls fun and interesting and amazing. Live like there's no tomorrow, man. Well, Peter is giving us the same sort of advice, except he's on board with me. He thinks it shouldn't be YOLO, it should be YOLO, YOL, YOLF, YOLF, you only live forever. And Peter begins his scripture passage tonight with this understanding that the end of all things is near, and so therefore, how should we live, right? And so, um, our theme tonight really is um, how to live like there's no tomorrow. How to live like there's no tomorrow. And, and what Peter does is he gives us a number of su suggestions about how we live uh, like there's no tomorrow, okay? Number one, be alert and pray. Number two, love and be hospitable. And number three, use your gifts. Use your gifts. Okay? So how do we live like there's no tomorrow? Well, Peter tells us the first thing that we need to do is be alert and pray. Be alert and pray. Verse 7 begins with this statement. The end of all things is near. Now, every time I read this phrase, I think about those guys that walk around downtown Chicago with the uh, sandwich cardboard signs where they took a big permanent marker and they drew on it, the end of things is nigh, you know, and it's like, Judgment Day is coming, and of course we all look at those people and go, okay, someone's off his rocker. Um, but here Peter says, straight from the Word of God, the end of all things is near. Now, it makes sense when we see in context that the last thing that Peter was talking about was that the people who deny the gospel will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So Peter was just talking about the last judgment, wasn't he? That everybody is going to have to give an account, right? And here he says, the end of all things is near. This is in the first century. We're in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, twenty-first century now. It's been a lot of centuries. Since Peter said these words. So what is he meaning by this? Well, Peter looks at the world in terms of redemptive history. 
right? If you look at our history of our nation, of our country, it's a very um, young nation and country, you look at landmarks, right, that are important moments. You look at Paul Revere's ride. You look at them coming together and, 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 and uh, making the Declaration of Independence. You look at the War of Independence, right, the Revolutionary War. You look at this moment in history, that moment in history. These are formative moments in the making of the United States of America, right? Well, Peter, he looks at the world in the same way, but instead of thinking of the nation of Israel, instead of thinking of um, the United States, of America. Peter thinks of the redemptive work of God. And Peter, looking at the redemptive work of God, sees that creation has happened, that the fall has happened, that redemption has happened, and Christ has come, all this, right? And the last thing to come, restoration. And so of all the redemptive historical things that have happened, they've all happened but that final culmination of the return of Jesus Christ. And so Peter, speaking in redemptive historical terms, says the end of all things is near. Because relatively speaking, in light of all the redemptive historical moments that have come before, there's only one left to come now. Christ has come, the Spirit has been poured out, we're only waiting for one more thing, okay? The end of all things is near. And so he says, because of this knowledge that we have, that the only thing that is pressing upon us now in the future, in terms of God, God's work, is the imminent return of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead. Then then we should be clear-minded. Clear-minded, he says, and self-controlled. Clear-minded and self-controlled. And this is the interesting thing that he says then. So that... You can pray. So that you can pray. Now, what I want you to think about is, is Peter saying that if you are not clear-minded and self-controlled, you can't pray? Is that what he's saying? No, what Peter is doing is he's saying that there is an alertness. There is a clear-mindedness. There is a kind of discipline that goes hand in hand with praying effectively. Peter's even saying that there's a knowledge that is beneficial to prayer. And the truth of the matter is, if we didn't know what we needed to pray about and pray for, then we wouldn't pray for it. Are you with me here? Okay. And this is the truth in terms of our own personal growth and godliness and holiness. Lord, search my heart and know me. And the Holy Spirit reveals to you that you have a, um, an issue with pride still going on in your life. 
that you have a fear of men issue. That you have a lust issue. And you're clear-minded. And you've got enough self-control to allow the Lord to reveal these things to you so that you can bring them to God. Right? But it's also the truth about the things that are going on in this world. The things that we need to be praying about where Christians are being persecuted. How the rulers and powers and authorities of the air are trying to manipulate things that are going on. Right? To be alert and super-minded about these things. To be able to see when things are false and when things are true. To be able to discern these things so that we can be praying about them. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray effectively. So that you can pray with knowledge. With understanding. And these two words, clear-minded, sober-minded, means um, your, your mind is not tossed to and fro by everything that is going on. You have a self-control, a discipline that allows you um, to spend time in prayer, consistent time in prayer. Um, so Peter says, this is how you live like there's no tomorrow. Yolf. When you realize that everyone lives forever, when you realize that the last thing that's going to happen in this redemptive historical arc is the return of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead, then what you realize is one of the things that you need to do in these end days, in these end times, is to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray effectively. So that you can pray with knowledge and understanding, okay? Be alert and pray. That is one way that we live like there's no tomorrow. That is one way that we can live as if Christ could return now. The second way that we can live like there's no tomorrow, live like Christ is coming back right now, is to love and be hospitable. Peter says, above all, I love how he says above all love, right? Above all. It's the same way um, that Paul says, um, if I have not love, I'm just a clanging symbol. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But what's the most important? Love. Above all, love. Love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude, covers over a multitude of sins. Now, um, Peter is not saying here um, that our love has the ability to forgive sins in the sense of the way God forgives sins. He's not saying that our love has a way to cover over sins um, in the way that God's love covers over our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Peter here is not saying love covers over a multitude of sins, so therefore we should not take seriously when someone transgresses God's law and claims to be a Christian, right? Right? Um, 
Peter is not saying here that there should not be any form of what we call church discipline or, uh, um, you know, coming to a brother or sister and say, hey, I'm praying for you, but what you're doing right now, it's not honoring to God. And, and it's going to bring uh, you only hurt and pain. You're, you're living in sin. Now, Peter is not saying that, okay? In the context of what Peter is addressing, he's talking about how we live in community as brothers and sisters in, in the body of Christ, as, as believers in the church, right? And when he says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins, what he's saying is that there are often ways that we, as sinful people, can rub one another wrong. And just like we were talking about before, that usually the way the world operates is you poke me, I poke you back, right? You poke me in the eye, I poke you back in the eye. You pull my ear, I pull your ear. You punch me, I punch you. Right? That's how, that's how the world operates. That's how the world deals with things. Peter says, in this new economy, the brotherhood of Christ, the family of God. That's not how we operate. And so when Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins, he's saying there are many things. There are many offenses which can be overlooked in the grand scheme of things. There are many ways in which a brother or sister in Christ could rub you the wrong way and you simply choose to let it slide. You don't let it enter into your heart in such a way that creates bitterness and discord between you. Right? I mean, I don't know if someone has said this before, but I just want to keep saying it because I think it's so important. We always say that blood is thicker than water, but I think spirit is thicker than blood. And if we had that kind of attitude as the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, then we would think about things often in a different way, right? We say, hey, you're my brother. Hey, you're my sister in Christ, right? Well, sometimes brothers annoy us. And sometimes sisters get on our nerves. But no matter what you do, even if you try really hard, they're still your brother. You're st still your sister. It makes me think of... Um, one of the uh, Where the Sidewalk Ends poems. It's about the, the brother who's auctioning off his little sister. My daughter, Alma, always has me read that one to her. wonder why. Um, love covers over a multitude of sins means that there are many ways in which we can get on each other's nerves that we can just simply let slide. We don't return offense for offense. You see what I'm saying? Imagine... If every time someone offended you, you brought offense back, that's a cycle that never ends. One of the things you have to do when you're in a cycle of bitterness and resentment like that, what do you have to do? You have to say, the buck stops here. I have every right to be resentful and hurtful towards this person because they've hurt me. You can say those things all day long till the cows come home. 
But if you finally put your foot down and you say, hey, God had every right to judge me and to condemn me for my sins, but he sent Jesus Christ as my Savior, and so the buck stops here, even though I could give offense back for the offense they just gave me, nah, I'm going to love them. And you would be amazed how often that just puts water on the fire. That is what Peter's talking about. What are ways that you can love each other so deeply that it covers a multitude of sins? Well, there's another way that we can express love. In fact, uh, early church fathers talked about hospitality as so closely connected to this concept of Christian brotherly, sisterly love. Hospitality, um, being hospitable, um, is about opening up that uh, welcoming sense of love to others. Peter continues, Offer hospitality, verse 9, to one another without grumbling. Um, that word, without grumbling, is the same Greek word used in the Old Testament for the people of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. They were grumbling people, right? And so Peter is basically saying, don't be like our Israel forefathers who grumbled in the desert because they didn't have what they wanted and they didn't have it the way they wanted it. In fact, don't be like that. Instead, without grumbling, offer hospitality. Offer your homes. Offer your space. Offer your time in ways um, that um, open yourself up to others, to other brothers and sisters of Christ. In the time that Peter was writing this, they didn't have um, hotels in the sense that we think of hotels today, right? Um, and if they did have hotels, they were often places where things, uh, sinful things went on and things that uh, shouldn't be, um, you know, um, having Christians involved with. And so part of what Peter was saying is offer hospitality because there's many Christians who, fall, who, who travel this way and that way and go this way and that way. And, and when they come through, open your houses to them and offer them your space and your time and, and, and your home, Right? And there is a way in which um, we, we can be called to do the same thing. You know, invite our neighbors over for dinner and um, open up our home to uh, opportunities for fellowship and communion and community. Um, I, I often think about, I, I wish I could do that more, you know, but when you're a family with a bunch of young kids and you're just trying to make it by. You can sometimes read a passage like this and, and, and feel guilty that you're not hospitable. And it's true. I, I would like to grow. I, I would like our family to grow in its hospitality. It's, it's hospitality, right? Um, and there's a number of challenges to that right now. But there are other ways to be hospitable besides opening your home to others. What about the way that you are open towards others when you're out working or when you're out running errands? Do you look like somebody who could, someone could walk up to them and, and, and say, hey, how you doing today? Um, can I pray for you? Or, you know, do you uh, walk around um, with headphones in when you're grocery shopping and, um, you know, 
head down, that kind of thing. I would say that I see a lot of people do that around here, but actually what I see more of people do around here is they walk around with speakerphone on or FaceTime like they don't care that everyone else hears their conversation. Have you noticed that too? That just blows my mind. Um, Hospitality can mean a number of things. But one of the things that I try to focus on a lot now is that I am a welcoming presence. I'm a welcoming person. And what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? You know? Do this without grumbling, right? So we're talking about the end of all things is near. It's come near in Jesus Christ. The only thing that we're waiting on is the return of Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead. And so Peter says, you want to know how you can live like there's no tomorrow? Don't go off in just uh, in hedonistic fashion. Uh, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. YOLO, you know, um, I'm going to go crazy and have all the fun. No, no, that's not the way Christians should live. Christians should live with the understanding that the end is in sight by being alert and praying, by loving deeply one another and being hospitable, being a welcoming person, right? Well, what's the last thing? Use your gifts. Verse 10, Peter continues. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Paul talks about how we're the body of Christ, and not all of us is an ear, and not all of us is an eye. Paul talks about how God has uniquely gifted us with a number of gifts, and he he lists off in numbers. Some people have the gift of tongues. Some people have the gift of uh, interpretation. Some people have the gift of administration. Some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have the gift of uh, preaching. Some people have, there's a number, a number of gifts. And, I, and my personal opinion is uh, I don't think every single spiritual gift is listed, um, you know, one for one in the Bible. Like if it's not in the Bible, then it isn't a reality. We all have our own unique giftings. And I believe that the Holy Spirit uses those giftings to to bless the church. The Spirit has given us our gifts, which is an administration of God's grace in its various forms. There is not a single person here who does not have a spiritual gift that God has given to them to bless your brothers and sisters in Christ. That um, is part of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. He poured out the Holy Spirit. He gave us gifts. And Peter says one way that we should live like there's no tomorrow is to use our spiritual gifts to serve one another, to use them, to not take them for granted, to use our gifts to bless our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And he goes on to list a number of these things. Um, very general terms. If anyone speaks, speak as though speaking the very word of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And so Peter is even saying that one of the ways that we serve one another using our spiritual gifts, Peter is even saying that the way that we use our gifts to serve one another is actually praise to God. All things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. All the things we do in speaking and serving in, in, um, in helping one another and using our spiritual gifts to encourage one another and to uplift one another, praying and interceding for each other, loving each other, um, using our spiritual gifts, depending not on our own strength, but on the strength that God provides, is how we praise God through Jesus Christ. When we use our spiritual gifts in the service of other brothers and sisters in Christ, when we use our spiritual gifts, it is actually an expression of praise to God through Jesus Christ. So use your gifts. Um, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you know a real good way to ask about what are your spiritual gifts is to ask somebody else, hey, what do you think God has gifted me with? See what they say. Right? There are spiritual gift assessment tests that you can take. What's the, what's the worst thing that can happen? I mean, I know some of them are pretty wonky, but, you know, um, it might help you discern what your, what your gifting is. But I would say the longer we go on life, the more we realize that those things which we are um, confident in, comfortable with, um, are, are God's unique gifting to us. And we're to use those gifts, not for our own service, not for our own benefit, but to serve one another. To serve one another. And this is, um, this is another way that we live like there's no tomorrow. This is another way that we live with this understanding that the, um, the return of Christ is impending. It is upon us as if it could be this very moment or tomorrow because it's the last great redemptive work in the history of redemption that awaits us, even though it's in the future. That is the return of Christ. How do you live like there's no tomorrow? You be alert and you pray. How do you live like there's no tomorrow? You show love deeply and you're a welcoming, hospitable person. How do you live like there's no tomorrow? You don't take your God-given spiritual gifts for granted and you use them for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you do that, it's all praise to God through Jesus Christ. And that's why Peter ends this entire section that he's been talking about in his letter with this doxology. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.
right? So the world wants to say, YOLO, you only live once, so go out, drink, party, be promiscuous. That's, that's the world's version of understanding that the end is upon us, right? Well, if I'm not going to live that long, then I'm going to do this bucket list, right? I'm not saying bucket lists are bad, but usually bucket lists include all kinds of inappropriate things. No. For Christians who understand that when this life ends, it turns into eternity. With Christians who understand that one day Christ is going to come back to judge the living and the dead. And as Peter will say even in his second letter, that when Christ comes back, the day of the Lord, there's going to be all kinds of people who scoff and mock and say things have always been the way it's been. But we're called to not listen to them. We're called to move forward with this understanding that Christ will come again. We're called to move forward with this understanding that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And Peter says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And this is what Peter ends with in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Same thing Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. That's what he says now. What kind of people should we be knowing that all that awaits us now is the return of the judge, the judge living and the dead? We ought to be the kind of people who are alert, clear-minded, and self-controlled so that we can pray effectively. We ought to be the kind of people who love deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We ought to be the kind of people who are welcoming and offer hospitality without grumbling. We ought to be the kind of people who use the gifts God has given us with his strength so that all things and all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. We ought to be the kind of people who are looking at our lives and desiring that they would be to him. Be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Ray Charles once said, live each day like it's your last, because one day you're going to be right. Um, the way that I would tweak that for Christians is, live each day like it's your last, because one day Christ your Lord will return. Christ your Lord will return. Don't waste it. Don't waste your life on frivolous things. Live your life for him. Because that is what you actually get a return on. Amen. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you, Lord, that in the history of redemption, all things have come except for 
the return of Christ, the judge living in the dead, and the restoration of all things. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would live in light of this reality, in light of the end of all things being near. May you help us to be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can pray effectively. Lord, pour out into our hearts a deep love for each other because love covers over a multitude of offenses and sins. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be hospitable people, to welcome one another without grumbling. Help us, Lord, to not take our gifts for granted, but use whatever you have given us in service to others, that we would use your grace that's been administered to us in various forms. We pray that we would do all this the strength that you have provided so that in all things you may be praised for Jesus Christ. To you be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Will you join me in singing?